Polymath Producer, John, Polymath Producer Podcast. Welcome. Today I'm going to be doing a music production analysis of a 1960s hit. I'm going to start at the 60s and we're going to move our way up. And then we're going to keep cycling through those decades, cycling through. <laughs> so the first one is My Girl by The Temptations. Okay, I just chose it at random. Just went through the 60s and was like, that song's awesome. Let's have a look at it. So I have a lot of notes. Actually, I don't really. I got five of the top points that I thought were really cool about the track itself. So the music production behind the track. So I'm going to leave the show notes below. After you finish this podcast, I highly recommend that you grab the show notes and you actually listen to My Girl and go through my notes and actually listen to what I've discovered, okay? Because then that will create the epiphany in your mind and then you will be able to actually use this yourself in your own arrangements in your own way, okay? I don't advocate copying, I advocate grabbing techniques, okay? Very particular techniques and using them in your own way, understanding the fundamentals and the principles of music production, okay? That's really what we're looking at here. So let's get straight into it. Okay, My Girl, Temptations. The first thing that I noticed was the vocal arrangement. Okay, now if you go onto YouTube, you can actually look up the a cappella version of this song, which I highly recommend because you can actually hear the intricate details of the four part harmony, or in this case, there's five voices, but there's four part harmony that surrounds the lead within the song. So I highly recommend that you go listen to that to understand what I'm talking about in this section. So what happens? Well, there's five members. There's a lead vocal. Then there's a bass vocal, which is quite obvious. There's you know, either two baritones or two tenors. Okay, so it's four-part harmony around the lead. Sometimes the bass does their own bass fit line fills, which I thought was pretty cool. It has a very doo-woppy influence. That's a genre of music that originated more in the 50s, I believe, which is like those four-part harmonies, uh, very prevalent in that in that genre. So they kind of taken it across into the 60s and made it more of an R&B style. And this is a Motown track, so Motown was a label, but they had a very distinct sound. So let's have a look what the vocals are doing. Verses. In the verses, the background vocals are actually doing oohs, so ooh vocal pads as as you know four-part harmony. Now, I'm going to get back to that in a second, but we're going to go through what, what they're doing first. So verses between 10 seconds in and 25 seconds in, listen out to the oohs, the vocal pads. Now, in the pre-choruses, they moved more into the melody accompaniment. So... As the melody is singing, the, the vocal harmonies are actually surrounding that lead and sand, sandwiching that lead. And what I thought was really cool about this is that it almost creates more intensity, which I'm going to get to in a second as well. The third thing that these harmonies are doing is in the chorus, they change more into a call and response style vocal. Okay, so the lead vocal says, my girl. Then the call and response solo vocal says, my girl, in response to that. So call and response. Then there's a stacked my girl, 
with all the voices as one. And then there's a counter hook that the that the background vocals do, which is a whoa, like whoa. And then they go, my girl, as a call and response stack to the lead vocal. And this is all in, in succession. Now let's get to what these techniques are, why they're doing them in the first place. Okay, so what they're doing fundamentally is they're using the different styles of background vocals for energy development. Okay, you get, look at everything as energy development in a track, moving from the verses, the pre-choruses to the choruses. Usually the choruses will be peaking. Okay, so you, you're starting in the verses and you're moving towards a peak. So what they're doing here is they're using the vocal pads in very discrete ways to actually move that energy in a way that's subtle, but effective. So what they're doing in verses, uh, they're actually using the vocal pads in a way that's more subtle, just in the background, just as a light pad and a bit of texture. As they move into the pre-chorus, what they're doing is they're making it more intense by actually having the background vocals sing all the words at the same time. It adds more impact, which I thought was really cool. Now, when they get to, the, in, in the pre-chorus as well, it's also a full stack, like very wide octave range. When they get to the chorus, what I thought was cool was that it actually turns into more of an active role with the lead vocals. So they're actually doing more of a call and response. So they're moving towards between solo call and response and stacked call and response, and they actually build the intensity over the chorus. So it's solo vocal, solo vocal, then stacked, then solo with a counter hook line and then stacked again. So it's all call and response in the chorus, which I thought was really cool. So each section actually emphasizes that section and the more intense lines are actually the ones where it's all stacked as one. And it actually, the most intense one is actually, I think the pre-chorus because the pre-chorus is actually all the vocals singing the same line as, as one with the lead. And as we get to later, actually make, there's another uh, number five is in, interdependence principle. They're using everything flowing as one unit. And this actually at particular times, and this creates more intensity at, at particular times in the energy. So I actually think that the pre-chorus is more intense in terms of the vocal arrangement section than the chorus, because the chorus is more call and response. Let's move on to number two. Number two is finger snaps. Now, this is quite a quick one, but it's very important. In this track, if you listen to the acapella version, you can hear the finger slaps, uh, finger snaps more effectively. Now, they're also in the in the main version. They sound different every time. I want to emphasize that. They sound different every time. Okay. Now, you're probably thinking, well, of course they do because they're, they're literally doing it themselves. In modern day productions, finger snaps are also sample based. So you can grab a sample based finger snap. Ryan Tedder, who is a modern day producer and songwriter, emphasizes the fact that when you use snap samples, you want to change the pitch slightly. So fine tune the pitch slightly left or right, uh, minus or plus, just a little bit every time so that it sounds pitch wise a little bit different to the last because if you're doing it naturally that's the way it's going to sound you also move them slightly you know off grid left and right so that it's more humanized as well 
when you're thinking about when you're thinking about particular sounds in your tracks, you want to make them sound humanized. He mentions Ryan Tedder mentioned that the Swedish are very detail oriented, like Max Martin, all of those guys, very de detail oriented. They'll change not only the pitch and the timing of each one, depending on the track and depending on what they're trying to aim for, but they'll also change even the reverb times of each one. So they're getting into very particular specific things. Uh, so I thought I'd mention that because this is because this is done with real uh, instruments and, and real humans. Everything's going to be humanized anyway because it's, it's it was recorded in the '60s, so they have to do the whole take just as one take. So that's very important to note. In modern day, you got to remember that fundamentals. The fundamentals still exist. They exist for a reason. Number three is extra kicks for energetic development, and this. I thought this was really cool what they've done in the in the kick drum. It creates an illusion of speed. Now, what do I mean by illusion of speed? Well, in the verse, so from 10 seconds to 28 seconds, just listen to the verse. Listen to the kick pattern in particular, okay? The kick and snare pattern. The kick is doing a certain, it goes kick, snare, kick, kick, snare, kick, okay? And it's a straighter kick pattern. Now, when you get to the pre-chorus, the, the kick actually gets moved back a little bit and it, it gives the illusion that the track is speeding up in the pre-chorus and the chorus when it's actually not. It's actually just, they're just using an extra, uh, a kick that is that comes earlier and they actually add an extra kick after the second snare as well. Look out for those core rhythm differences. Okay, this is core rhythm. This is like the main rhythm that everything flows with. When that changes, Ever so slightly, just subtle shifts can make a big difference in the illusion of the speed of the track, the momentum of the track. Okay, it's re that's really what it is—the momentum. It's building momentum. Now, number four is the Motown snare hit. Okay, so this is very and guitar hit. So this is very common in Motown tracks. On the two and the four, they'll double the snare with a guitar hit, a chord hit. And this emphasizes the snare hit with a guitar, but it's, it's, it's a harmonic instrument, which is kind of cool because you're emphasizing a snare hit with a harmonic instrument. And this can really be done with any instrument in modern day. You can use it in, in modern tracks as well. Like it's not just a Motown thing. You can use it, but in, in, a, in a more modern way and, and your own way. It's just if you know that fundamental thing that you can emphasize two and four and snare hits or any hit really with a harmonic instrument, you can do that. So listen out for that throughout the whole track. Number five is the interdependence principle. Okay, so interdependence principle, it means that everything flows as one. Some of the, the best tracks of all time, they always feel like they flow not only with the track itself as one unit, but also with the song as well. So it actually flows with the song, the track, it's all flowing as almost like this, this single unit. Okay, now, of course, there's going to be counter rhythms, things like that. But ultimately, everything flows as one. Everything has a purpose. Now, one of the most, uh, I guess, mo one of the moments in this track that emphasizes this the most is 122. Okay, 122 in. The snare, the hats, the bass, the kick, the brass, the strings all play at the same time rhythmically. And this, the unit becomes one for emphasis. So you can actually emphasize things at certain points to create uh, using the interdependence principle. So everything is, is working as one anyway. 
But if you want to really emphasize something, you can do something like a 122 where you actually line everything up as one and then just hit it all as at once. Now, I know that another song does this, the love grows where my uh, rosemary goes. That other song from the 60s also emphasizes this principle at the very start of the song. Everything stacks up as one, heaps of em emphasis on the, on the instruments because they're all playing the same rhythm and, this, and it's all stacking up in octave as well. So they're actually covering more of the frequency range as they stack up. Exactly the same with this. Now, that is everything that I covered in this track. So my phone just kind of went a bit weird there. That's why I had to press that. So that's everything I covered in this track. If you want to have a look at the notes, have a look at the show notes, then listen to this track straight after this podcast and listen to everything that I've mentioned and you'll get the epiphany yourself in your mind and you'll find you'll find all this uh, kind of makes sense. So I tried to get through this in less than 15 minutes so that I can really like, you know, punch it out. I didn't want to like overdo it. Let me know if you're enjoying this new format and this new way of doing things. Um, I'm probably going to have to add like maybe a charger into my phone so it doesn't run out and probably have to make a lot more space so that I can go a little bit longer when I have to. But I wanted to make this one uh, short and straight to the point so that you kind of understand the new format that I'm going with on this Polymath Producer podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to leave a question in the podcast. I'm pretty sure you can do that, asking you what you think of the new format and uh, letting me know. So thank you for watching and I will see you next time.